Thank you for your many blessings, for your provision, and the opportunity to give and share and build your kingdom together. Continue to talk to us this morning as we pray. Amen. Thinking about the Nigerian Christians who sometimes have to decide if they want to remain Christian or not in order to save their lives. Thinking about this violent group called Boko Haram, which is forcing some Christians to make really difficult decisions. Do they stay where they are to continue to worship God, continue to serve the neighborhood that which, in which they are uh, living and serving? Or will they, will they relocate to avoid being killed? Will they say no to Jesus, to say yes to their own life? It's, it's a really difficult place to be. And that's not happening, that, that, that's not happening somewhere else in the universe. This is happening here and on our own earth, Nigeria, Africa. And sometimes we think about those places like far away. And yet when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, we are thinking about our brothers and sisters in Nigeria too, that they need to make a tough decision sometimes in order to survive. And I don't know how that sounds to you, but I think it's a really bit daunting when you have to decide if I will follow Jesus and remain faithful to my faith or I will preserve my life. As we read the passage today, Luke chapter 9, um, verse 18, I'd like to ask you to read it with me if you would like to stand and read it with me. Um, and let's read it together, please. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say? Yeah. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Can you repeat that phrase? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, let's stop there. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is for it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory 
and in the glory of the Father. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not take death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last week, we spoke about how King Herod definitely means a great opportunity to really get to know Jesus and to appreciate who Jesus was. Instead, he was looking for a show. Instead, he was looking for miracles and signs uh, to try to have some fun. You know, he, kings, they like fun too. You know, they have a lot of uh, responsibility, but they also want fun. And, and he wanted fun, uh, some, some entertainment from Jesus, and Jesus didn't give him anything. Today, as, as a follow-up, as part of this reading, we are, we are talking about now a very difficult passage, actually. You know, I was thinking with Gustavin and I, when we meet uh, to decide who's going to be do, uh, doing what, sometimes Tobin said to me, hey, you always get the stories, and now we have to preach these tough uh, sermons and say, well, it's my turn now. <laughs> so you'll enjoy next week <laughs> a <new> story, right? <laughs> But today, as we think about this passage, I don't want us to be just, just to rush it through and, yes, we got a sermon and that's it. I want you to think about this question too. The, the Sunday before, we, we, we asked this question, do, why do I want Jesus in my life? Remember that? Why do I want, do, do we want Jesus in our lives? Today is, do I really want to follow Jesus? Do I really want to follow Jesus. Look, this is interesting. We preach, and, I to, and I'm totally in agreement with that. We preach and teach that it is all about grace, isn't it? It's all about grace. But what do we really mean by that, that it's all about grace? You know, I believe that the word grace sometimes has been used in a way that might communicate that Christianity is a faith where you will make, so that, that will make you feel good, accepted, and welcomed without any particular effort on our part. Sometimes it might sound like a pretty easy faith. You know, like what? All you have to do is to allow God to embrace you, which I totally agree with that. But when we read this passage, we feel like, what? This is not easy Christianity, is it? Thank you. But, and also we Christians tend to look at to certain religions and how they do whatever they do, and we ask you know, why do they have to do all of that? You know, so many rituals and ceremonies and all this. Why, why do they have to do all of that? Sacrifices and stuff like that. And we tend to think, you don't need to do that, right? I think we probably need to reconsider those claims more carefully. Because how do you hear this expression when you hear it, Jesus saying, Whoever wants to be my disciple must go to church, enjoy himself, have a good time, listen to a good sermon, and go home. Right? Instead, instead, 
<laughs> whoever wants to be my disciple, wow, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I believe this is a very difficult expression, deny yourself. And let me tell you why. Our culture, whether it's the United States of America, Australia, Latin America, or whatever, they tell us, you have to be number one. You have to reinvent yourself. You have to be relevant. You have to um, add value to your life. If you cannot be number one, you have to be the best number two. But you have to be something. You have to be someone. Never behind, never lacking, never missing anything. Wow, is that easy? And yet, that's exactly what the culture is telling us every day. You have to be that. And then when you put that in contrast to what Jesus is saying, do you, don't you ask yourself, what should I do then? Right? How can I do both? I think it's really daunting. It's not easy. Right? Um, but I'm thinking, what, 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 is there any possibility that the word denied yourself could also mean, instead of being saying no to you all the time, could be saying yes to Jesus all the time? Think about it. Now, when Jesus started this conversation, what, what, what we heard before was, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples, disciples were with him, he asked them, hey, I need to know something. Tell me, who do the crowds say that I am? You know, and Jesus is a master, an incredible, an incredible teacher. He wants to get their personal attention. He's bringing their attention from the, the bigger picture to the more narrow picture. And he says, what do they say? And they say, they said that you are, maybe you are Elijah. In uh, other Gospels, it says Jeremiah, you know, uh, any of the old prophets. And Jesus said, that's fine, that's, that's okay. They have, they, they have the right to, to think whatever they want about me. But what about you guys? What do you think? Who do you think I am? So look, look at that. So he's, he wants them to make sure what the crowds are thinking, and they know, they already know. You know, they have, they have been having conversation with other people, and other people are telling them, you know, your master, your teacher sounds to me like Elijah, like John the Baptist, like Jeremiah. He sounds great. And they're like, wow, they're trying to process that information. And Jesus says, no, but I need to know what do you think, who do you think I am? Now, I guess he's also asking the question, or another question, which is, are you part of the crowd or are you part of the movement? You know? Are you part of the crowd? The crowd is entitled to think whatever they want about me. But what is it that you think about me if, you th if you're part of my movement, if you're part of the kingdom of God, what is it that you think about me? 
Now, if you think you are part of Jesus' movement, Jesus is saying, and you say that I'm the Messiah, that has some implications. The crowd can say their own opinions. They don't have to do anything with Jesus. But if you are part of Jesus' movement, Jesus' amazing movement, the the kingdom of God, then probably you have to uh, rearrange your values and your priorities in your life according to that uh, statement. So let's go back to deny ourselves. I am, you know, I try to figure out, you know, how can we go about this passage not feeling that we always have to say no to ourselves. Well, how about, like I said at the beginning, if we think about it as a saying yes to Jesus. You know, because the negativity that that implies to always say no, 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 and no to you, you might feel that you don't have any power, you don't have any choice. But then when you decide that you do have power, and you do have choice, and that choice is to choose Jesus is different. It's totally different. So, Jesus is, or, or they, the writer is basically saying, is, if he is the Messiah, then I am not. If he is the Messiah, Herod is not. If he is the Messiah, nobody else can be. I know this is a kind, of, kind of, it might sound too radical for you and to you and for, to me too. But that's exactly what I I see he's saying. He's saying, you are the Messiah. And for the Jewish people, the Messiah was somebody special that nobody could replace. So, Jesus is now moving his disciples from a regular teacher, a regular prophet, a a regular religious leader to a different dimension now I am all of that, but I'm more than that. And, and if, if I am the Messiah, something is going to happen to you guys. The Messiah claims your whole life, not just some convenience part of it. The early Christians, first and second and third uh, centuries, um, they didn't change the world like Tobin was uh, praying about it by suggesting that Jesus was a really good religious option. They didn't, wanna, they didn't go around saying, you know what, if you want to feel great, and if you want to have a different kind of input in your life, why don't you consider Jesus? They didn't do that. They were not suggesting that Jesus was some sort of auction around, but he was, they were saying that he was the Messiah. And that is a transformational statement because if he is the Messiah, he is going to have an impact in my life, in our lives. They proclaim with words and in their lives that he was the one with whom God was totally pleased, the Son of God. I read a story about a 25 years old um, a a man from Texas, a young man from Texas, who was reading all about kidney kidney transplant in America. And he was was so into that book, and he realized how difficult it is to get a kidney transplant. transplant. And he was daunted by the the fact and all the the numbers uh, of how difficult it is to get that done. 
So he decided he would research on that, and he made an amazing decision. He decided to donate his kidney to somebody that he didn't know, a total stranger. K. Kayaman is his name. And he didn't think about, he even said, it was not a hard decision for me to make. Let me ask you a question. Will that be a decision for you to make? But he thought, he said that he thought about the implications that that will imply. And he thought that the benefits were greater than the, the whatever he can lose about it. But it was his own decision. Nobody had to convince him that he had to do it. He just decided to do that. As an effect, other people got in, involved and other people donated their kidneys too. But here's the thing. It was a voluntary act. He was not forced into it. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, it's your decision. You are not forced to be Jesus' disciple. If you want to be my disciple, here are the, impl- here are the implications. You know that sometimes we are so eager to bring people to church that we probably can uh, make, it, make it so easy so people can get in. But Jesus didn't make it so easy so people can get in. Uh, he was very clear, very truthful, and he said, if you want to follow me, the first thing that you need to do is say yes to me and not to yourself. I know it sounds a little bit radical, but my friends, this is what he said, know what I'm saying. Um, so, and then he, he adds this word, take up their, they have to take up their cross daily. And I was thinking about, you know, if you see this chair right here, it's a regular chair, right? Right? But how about, excuse me, if I add to that chair something like this, is that a regular chair? I need to plug it in. It becomes something else, right? If I put some electricity there. Now, hear about, listen to the same statement again. If, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your electric, electric chair, and follow me. You know what that means? This is a very difficult statement. When they, when they heard that first, they could have been really shocked. Because who wants to take their cross and, and be crucified by the Romans. Nobody wants to do that. And this saying, these years, when you hear about the, the electric chair, you're talking about normally criminals. Some innocent people have died, obviously, but normally criminals. And Jesus is telling them, if you want to look like a criminal, take your cross and follow me. That's a very difficult statement, isn't it? Why? Because we think that whatever Jesus was preaching was only for the soul. It's spiritual. We tend to think that way. However, the Jewish authorities in the Roman Empire didn't see Jesus as a regular preacher, as a regular teacher. He saw him as a threat. 
whatever he was talking about was a disruption to the empire. Feeding the, home, the, the people who, who, who didn't have food, healing the sick, taking care of people that never, nobody else would take care of. You know, kind of bringing this social revolution, not only spiritual revolution, but a social revolution that was a threat. And we tend to think that he died for our sins. Yes, he did die for that, but he also died because he was a threat to the empire. He was a difficult guy because he was talking about equality. And the Roman Empire didn't believe in equality. Neither the Jewish people, and the leaders, at least the leaders, believed in inequality. So, now think about this. These days, we get the crosses that we have, beautiful crosses. I have some of them. You know, beautiful crosses are beautiful crosses over there on our churches, everywhere. That's a beautiful symbol, isn't it? But we'll, let's think we were back then and the, the, the punishment would have been the electrical chair. Would you imagine yourself carrying a chair, electrical chair in your chest? You will not, right? Because it's death. That is exactly how you, they might have felt it. Jesus, you're telling us something that does that's, No, no, no. It's too difficult. What would you tell us? To be, ready to, to be ready to die any time. And I know we have an expression that says, you know, that's their cross to bear. You know, you recognize that expression, right? And we, we think we are talking about the same. Well, yes and no. A cross to bear, we tend to believe that it's a problem, a difficulty, a burden that we have to carry, right? But Jesus wasn't talking about your problems and my problems. He was talking about the challenge that that implied to be a follower of Jesus back then and today. Talk about that uh, with the Nigerian people. How would they feel about following Jesus? They feel like they have a, a, a death sentence in their lives because of following Jesus. So I know this is daunting, but maybe perhaps we have to think about how we approach the scripture and how do we make it easy so that we can feel good sometimes. And I tell you, I don't feel good about this passage. Sometimes when you go through it, you have to think, what? Do you really mean that? Do you really mean that I have to be ready to give up who I am, you know, what I have? And you know, I was telling somebody this week, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been probably easy for me to, to preach a sermon, you know, why don't you do that in all this intensity that could, you know, that I could have expressed by that back then. But today, you, you have a wife, you have children, you have different kind of things. Do you think I will think about what that means to me? Obviously, yes. But Jesus was exactly doing that. Think about what it means to, to be a follower. A follower is not a fan. You know, a fan can show up to the game, can, go to, can cheer up the person that they like whenever they want. If they want to quit, they can quit any time. But a follower is different. A follower is somebody who, say, who understands that even if he or she lives in the United States of America, one of, at, at, at least up to today, one of the safest countries to be, is still a challenge to be a follower of Jesus. Isn't it? Hello? Right? It's a challenge. And so what do we do with that? 
So then he says, and follow, follow me. That's the, the last um, implication that he's giving us. Just follow me. You know, to follow Jesus, again, implies that we recognize that he's the Messiah daily. Back then, again, that recognition will be looking like today in Nigeria and other parts of the world saying, you know, I will probably give up my life. But when the disciples heard this, they knew that Jesus was talking about crucifixion, potentially. Twelve of his disciples, that he had 12 disciples, 11 of them were, were martyr, martyrs. Uh, they were killed. You know, so it's not easy. It's not easy. But Jesus said, it's your choice. You know, this is not an easy ride. Sometimes it could be difficult. And again, talking about being a threat to the empire back then uh, and to, to whatever the arrangements were, were there before, um, there's a story in the book of Acts when uh, chapter 16, verse 16 through 20, 21 says, once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for the, her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out, come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. You know, if you leave the story there, that's cool. She's free. You know, she's not dominated by that, by that spirit anymore. But if you keep reading, then trouble comes. Uh, it says, when her honors realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. Dragged them, my friends. It was not like, hey, let's go. No. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs and a lot for us Romans to accept on practice. You notice this story? It's, this story is a story of somebody being healed from an evil spirit, a spirit that you don't need to carry, and only that, the oppression of serving somebody who's making money out of, out of her, and then what comes next? Trouble. Why? Because Christianity was a totally different conversation. It was about being free, totally free, but not, not everybody wants everybody else to be free. There are so many interests, there are so many things, and that's the crash sometimes that Christianity back then and today we have with. It's a crash, a clash. Then the other story, and that's, that will be the last story, is when um, Paul is preaching, and he's um, in this city where they worship Diana in, Eph in Ephesus. And he starts preaching, and they say, look at what this guy is doing. Everybody's following him, and you know what? Our business is going down. 
Because whatever they are preaching is against whatever we are worshiping. And, he, and they decided that they will get rid of Paul and his friends because whatever the message they were bringing was too radical. And was taking out their business. Was ruining their business. Well, this is difficult. Because Paul didn't intend to do that. But the consequences of preaching the Messiah, the Christ, the only one uh, from God... It has an impact. So the impact for this city was that they were losing business. And remember, just Tobin just preached when these uh, pig herders, they lost the business because Jesus did something on, on, their, on somebody else's life, right? So, there, yes, there is a cost. There's a price uh, by the impact of the Christian faith. Now, the challenge for us is, do I still want to follow this faith? Do I still want to follow this Jesus? How about Jesus ask from me something that I never thought that he will? The story of this pastor who decided, who, who was raised in the church, he never went, uh, uh, he never went to some, some, something else other than the church. He was the son of a pastor, and he said, I don't, I'm done with the church. I don't want to continue to go to church. So he left the church. He went to business uh, uh, and did business with Coca-Cola, and he was, he was doing really well. And forgot about God and forgot about church, but suddenly he said that God told him, hey, I want you to be a pastor. And he said, what? Are you talking to me, God? Yeah, I want you to be a pastor. He said, you know, I don't like church. I don't like to go to church. Why would you tell me to be a pastor? He said, that's precisely the reason why you to be a pastor. I know you will become a great pastor. He's, he was living his own life, regular life. Now he had to go back to seminary. And this is in Costa Rica, Pastor Roy, by the way, and he gave, he, he gave up his life, he gave up his business, and he became this extraordinary pastor, serving his people, bringing a total transformation in that community. It's a town of 1,200 people, 600 are going to his church. But the, I mean, Jesus will not leave you wherever you are at. Jesus understands you and me, however, whatever struggles we have, whatever fears we have, whatever challenges we have. But if he really takes your life and takes my life, he'll do something else. He will change your life if you allow him to. He will change my life if we allow him. So I know you might be feeling like, wait, what? Is this a sermon for, this, for today? Yeah, that's it. this is the sermon for today. We need to think about that question, do I really want to follow Jesus? And if I want to follow Jesus, how will that impact my life? And maybe it will be something that he will ask from you that you probably, again, were not expecting for him to ask. So don't be discouraged. He has a lot for you. But I guess this is a pass today to think about what Jesus really meant when he said, yes, I am the Messiah. You take up your cross daily, he said, and you follow me. And that was having fun with somebody in the office, by the way, because I told this person, look, after you pick up that cross, you are too tired to follow Jesus. 
right? And yet, what he promises is that not only that if you decide to do that, um, it will be great, but also he will empower you to do so. Because honestly, I can't live this by my own power. I cannot do that by my own, my own power. I would prefer to go to the beach. <laughs> you too? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So it will, there, are more, there are easier ways to go about than to follow Jesus. But, and yet, I will not do something else. Jesus touched my last when I was 17. And I have had so many other opportunities to go somewhere else. And I prefer to be here in front of you, telling you that I need to practice that myself. That I need to be willing and able to say yes to Jesus more than no to me. It's a sweet, if you switch it, say yes to Jesus and less no to you. You know, because we tend to know, how can I say no? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. So if you can do that, it's a, it's a totally different approach. So change the question. It's not, Lord, what do I have to live in order to follow you? It's, Lord, how can I love you more? How can I de- develop a greater sense of faithfulness to you? How can I embrace you better? How can I uh, uh, find ways to, s- to serve the people that you care for? Instead of, do I have to say no, no to this? Do I, say, do I have to say no to that? It's really difficult to say no to you all the time. It's better to say yes to Jesus all the time. It's better, not easier, but better. Hey, let's pray. Lord, I confess that following you sometimes sounds like easy. But sometimes we come to the realization that there are brothers and sisters around the world, in China, in Africa, and in other other parts of the world, where being a Christian is very, very difficult. And yet, we do have the chance here in the United States, in other parts of the world too, to follow you and to choose to say yes to you instead of always thinking how much it's going to cost me. Help us to be in love with you. Help us to feel that you are the best thing that that can ever happen to us. Help us to open our hearts and our minds to, like you did, to dismiss the suffering of the cross because of the joy of your church and your people so that we can be able to move beyond what is it that is are going to lose into what is it that God is going to gain if I do whatever I have to do. Forgive us when we think that Christianity is to make us feel, make us feel good and help us to also embrace the difficult parts of what Christianity means 
following you. Thank you for your love. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are asking you right now, how do I, how do I practice this? Do I really want to follow you? Um, help us, Father, today. And let's follow Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us. We're able to close.